Mark 1. Conversations at the speed of sound. Southland Coast Tower, I'm parking in November, Sierra November. We're 160 ME, shortly tracking inbound on the 152 radial, maintaining 3000 with Delta Visual. Some snippets of conversation there between pilots and the control tower at Sunshine Coast Maruchidor Aerodrome. Hello and you are very welcome as you join us in this episode of Mac One, the podcast of the Queensland Air Museum, Caloundra. My name is Gary Hills, I am a QAM volunteer, I'm delighted to say, and I will be your host for this little conversation with air traffic controller and Queensland Air Museum member, Naomi McQueen. Naomi has been in the tower as a controller at Maruchidor for 18 years, and she sat down with me at the Sunshine Coast Aero Club not long ago, overlooking one of the runways where we saw aircraft coming and going as we were talking, and she gave me a little bit of an insight into her experiences as an air traffic controller, how she came to get started, what it was like for her and what sort of things go on on a typical day in the Sunshine Coast control tower. It was fascinating. I hope you find it so too. Then not long after that, I sat down with Queensland Air Museum volunteer and display manager Colin Campbell. Colin had a long history with air traffic control both in the UK and in Australia, and his conversation was so interesting that I've decided to keep it for a separate episode. You know, I guess it might be true for you, as it is for me as a member of the travelling public, that we're vaguely aware of air traffic control, pretty much basically know what it does, shepherding aircraft in and out of busy aerodromes and keeping people safe. But it's a little bit of an arcane mystery, isn't it? What's going on in those towers? We never really get a chance to hear the conversations, not unless you subscribe to an internet service like Live ATC, where you can listen in. Most of us give little time or thought to air traffic control, but we know it's there and we sort of know that it's vital. So in this episode, you're going to hear something of the experience of one air traffic controller, Naomi McQueen. Naomi was recently awarded a Certificate of Recognition by Air Services Australia under their Living Our Values initiative. And I'd like to read to you the the wording on the certificate because it does give you a little bit of an indication of what sort of person Naomi is. Nominated for being an extremely passionate air traffic controller within our business, You made some incredible contributions to the International Women's Day activities, which were greatly appreciated. Thank you for proactively coordinating 
an International Women's Day lunch with two guest speakers, followed by the Aviation Careers and Pathways Expo. Your efforts help ensure the next generation of talent can explore what a role in our industry looks like. Thank you for being a brilliant ambassador for our Air Services brand. Now, I haven't known Naomi for very long, but I have discovered that she is energetic, she is passionate, she is a great connector and networker, she's a mentor to many people in her industry, and she is making a very positive contribution, both professionally and personally, and I'm sure you'll hear some of that in the things that we talked about. Now, before we get started with that, let me just remind you that if you want to see photos or videos of our episodes, the people in them or the topics that we are discussing, you can find those at the Mac One Hanger on wordpress.com. You can either click the link in the podcasts page on the Queensland Air Museum website, or you could search for yourself for the Mac One Hanger, that's all one word, on wordpress.com. Have a look there. You'll see some great photos and you'll be able to take part in the conversation if you have comments or suggestions to make. That's the Mac One Hanger. So now, without further ado, here is my conversation with Naomi McQueen at the Sunshine Coast Airport. Hello, Naomi. Hi. Thank you very much for talking to me today. We're looking out over a very overcast day with uh, water on the ground we've had some heavy showers um, and there's very little air traffic but while we're talking we might hear a helicopter or a, or a trainer go past or even perhaps one of the heavy jets let me start by asking you where were you born where did you grow up and did you have in your family uh, a connection to aviation as you were growing up um i did gary i was a uh brought up in the northern suburbs of Brisbane, uh, Bray Park and Launton. I went to the local state schools there. My aviation connection within my family is through my grandfather. He was a tail gunner in Lancaster's in the Second World War. He was part of Bomber Command. When I was growing up and quite young, Grandad didn't talk at all about his experience in the war. However, by the time I was about 10, he started to become involved and would attend the Anzac Day marches and that became a really significant part of our family. In high school, I went to work experience at RAF Base Ambly because at that time I wanted to be an F-111 pilot. Aim high, Naomi, aim high. (laughs) Well, it was a fantastic experience, but um, this was 1997. So it was a long time ago. And when I told the work experience supervisor that I wanted to be an F-111 pilot, they told me I couldn't. And I was quite surprised that this person would say that to me. And I said, why not? And... Uh, that's a departing Virgin 737. Um, yeah, so the work experience supervisor said, no, unfortunately, that's not available to you because you're a girl. And I was quite shocked because that was really the first time that I'd ever been told I couldn't do something because I was a girl. 
so I had to put that idea of a fighter pilot to the back of my mind and uh, when I finished high school I started a behavioural science degree at Griffith University and I lasted six months. It really wasn't for me. I'd kept up my part-time job at KFC so I'd saved a bit of money. So one day when I'd had enough of my uni lectures I went to the student travel agency on the campus and I booked a one-way ticket to London. Wow. Yeah. Um, so that was super exciting and because <laughs> in those days, I'm not sure how it works now, but you could do a two-year working holiday visa to the UK. So I went to London, I lived in London, worked in an office, lived in Dover for a while and worked for the council. Disappointingly missed out on going to the uh, Folkestone air show that they have there every second year, the Shepway air show, which is just apparently spectacular. And then after my UK working holiday visa ran up, I wasn't quite ready to come back home. So I went to Israel and lived on a kibbutz for six months there as a volunteer. That was a really interesting experience. Mm. Um, and then after that, after my, I got back from Israel, I had to think about what I was actually going to do now. And I thought a conversation came back to me that I'd had with one of my high school friend's father. Um, my friend's father was an air traffic controller in Brisbane Centre and he had asked me when I was in grade 12, what are you going to do when you finish high school? And I said, well, I don't know. And he said, well, I think you'd make a good air traffic controller. So that came back into my mind and I thought, well, I'll have a look and see what's involved. Um, I applied and I was accepted. You don't do things by halves, I get the impression, <laughs> Naomi. That's, that's a wonderful background. Thank you. Um, so you obviously went through the training and the uh, education required. If somebody today was considering that, so how long ago was that? What, what year are we talking? Uh, 2003 I started with the Air Services College in Melbourne. Okay, and so today uh, somebody's in high school, or they may not be, they might be any age, and they're considering air traffic control. What kind of preparation do they need to expect the, to do? Well, currently, the only things that are the must-have items are passes in English and maths on a Grade 12 certificate. So that's something that, that can be achievable for a lot of people. However, I believe there's also pathways if you haven't achieved those results in a Grade 12 certificate. Certainly the simplest path in is getting those passes and maths in English in a Grade 12 certificate. Okay. Yeah. That sounds fairly... Um simple to me uh, compared to what I would have thought but what happens after that then when you complete high school? Um, you apply to become an air traffic controller and then there's online aptitude testing, there's in-person testing that looks at your teamwork abilities and your spatial awareness and, and things like that. Okay. And then because there's so many qualities of an air traffic controller that aren't necessarily purely academic they're able to test from a wide pool and then select from that pool the people that show the attributes that are most likely to be successful as air traffic controllers. And I'd like to talk about that in a moment but firstly just give us a little bit of your background here. How long have you been in air traffic control and how long at the Sunshine Coast? I've been at the Sunshine Coast since 2004 so 18 years. And how, what, what sort of changes have you seen at the aerodrome here in those 18 years? There's been a lot going on here, hasn't there? There has. When I started at Sunshine Coast Tower in July of 2004, it was actually the first week of the Jetstar operations. And I remember going down to the terminal and there was cake and celebrations <laughs> and people jumping up and doing the big star shape. 
um, they were still flying the 717s then, which are a really great aircraft. Yeah. Um, so back then there was sort of only three jet movements a day. There was a Shorts 360, Metro Liner, fixed wing training. There's always been a lot of helicopter training here. And uh, the Singapore Flying College was operating the Learjet 45s at the time. Back then we had runway 1230 and 1836 and we called ourselves Marucci Tower. And we often had F-111s transit in those days really? as well. Yes, so I always enjoyed that. Um, so this probably the biggest change in the last 18 years has been the new runway that we're looking at here. So we've got 1331. It's a lot longer and a lot wider than the last runway, 1836, but it's brought its own challenges with it. Um, when we when the new runway was built we had to all of the air traffic controllers had to spend time in the simulator to learn the new procedures because with the new runway there's also new taxiways but there's also new airspace and air routes that have to be designed around the new runway so we all spent time in the simulator in Brisbane so that when we went live with the new runway we all knew what the procedures were and how we were going to make it work. The simulator has definitely improved since I was in the college in 2003 um, and I believe when I was in the college in 2003 it had come ahead in leaps and bounds in the past five in the previous five years so um, now Air Services has a 360 degree simulator and a 270 degree simulator and honestly it is like you're actually there it's very it's a it's a really great environment to train. So I've taken photos of myself in the simulator and a photo of myself in the tower, standing in the same spot. Yeah. And if you'd never been in the tower before, you wouldn't know which one was the simulator and which one was real life. Mm. So it, the simulator is a fantastic tool. Like you can train for emergency procedures and you can train for them with a high level of realism. Mm. Yeah. Do you have to have a certain number of hours in a simulator to maintain your qualifications? At the moment we have mandated periods of time for um, emergency training but that's the only real requirement. People coming through and learning in the college or doing a conversion course from one type of tower to another or one en route sector to another may have a specific number of hours required in a simulator but for our role at Sunshine Coast we don't have such mandates. And, and how busy is this airport now? Oh, I couldn't give you the exact number of movements a day. However, obviously COVID did have impact. It would have looked very different with the new runway without COVID. That all happened at the same time. So that was pretty disappointing. Yeah. Um, now we've got back more jet movements than we had prior to COVID. We've okay. got Bonza Airlines on the way with their head office at Sunshine Coast, which is really exciting. We've got um, Link Airways, Alliance, Fly Pelican, Jetstar, Virgin and yeah. Qantas are all flying from here. So we've got our passenger traffics back at numbers that were higher than wow. COVID. I think, you know, the Sunshine Coast has been seen by a lot of people as a, as a reliable destination Yes, over that sort of period of uncertainty with travel. And we have a huge amount of flight training here with our local operators. So we have um, helicopter flying schools and fixed wing, uh, fixed wing schools. We have um, RAOs and we have uh, VH 
registered aircraft as well. We also have a float plane, a seaplane, it's a Wilga that um, operates from the Maroochee River. Yeah, so that's inside our airspace. Yep. So we can't see where that float, the seaplane's landing, but we have procedures to manage that. And so they need a clearance through our airspace. We also have the Surf Life Saving Queensland drones now, which are a really fantastic asset for the Surf Lifesavers. We get a lot of um, mozzie spraying and fire support here through mostly McDermott's. And their helicopters also have assisted with the recent flooding throughout mm. Queensland and New South Wales. A busy little airport by the sound of it. So is there such a thing as a typical day for an air traffic controller at Sunshine Coast? Well, in, on a typical day, we're open at the tower from 7.30. So someone arrives at 7 o'clock. And for the majority of the day, we work with two people. But there are some periods in the evening that are single-person operations because there isn't a lot of traffic around and it's suitable just to have one person on. We close the tower at 7.40 at night. So in that period between, we get in in the morning, we have flight progress strips that we need to write up. That's the, uh, the flight plans that pilots or companies have submitted so that we're able to know who's flying in and what they plan to do. We have to monitor the weather throughout the day. We have to update the terminal information weather service for the pilots so that they can be aware of what the conditions are before they arrive at Sunshine Coast, or they can be aware of what runway they need to expect before they depart Sunshine Coast. We will do a lot of coordination with other agencies, especially Brisbane Centre that owns the airspace above us. We will talk on the telephone to local operators, to our airport safety officers, to the ground handlers that are looking after the passenger jets. We also um, coordinate with our own airport fire service and occasionally the police as well and the Queensland Ambulance Service. We have rescue helicopters here, so we'll usually see them during the day. But when I go off to work this afternoon to start at 12.30, given the weather is quite poor, I expect most of my traffic will be from the public transport jets and from some helicopters that will be it. I don't think there'll be a lot of fixed wing training this afternoon just with the low cloud it's not suitable. Yeah okay so a lot going on and have you have you dealt with an emergency? Oh yes yeah we've certainly had some interesting ones. We used to have a hawker jet that operated here with a parachute at the back of it so one day that that um, had an issue with its undercarriage but the airport, the air traffic controllers, the fireys, the aviation rescue fireys, the airport safety officer, everybody is trained to cope with emergencies. So we all deal with it in a, in a calm manner and we work together to get the problem resolved in the best possible way. Undercarriage issues are something that we might see from time to time. Helicopters with chip lights on, which then sort of force them to make a precautionary landing. So I always find it impressive though, if we have an, an issue or a potential issue and we need to call out the aviation rescue fireys, they have very short response times that they must comply with. That's a regulation. They must reach every position on the airport within a certain amount of time. But when there is an emergency and we call on them, it is always impressive to see just how quickly they respond. So what would you say to somebody who's a little bit nervous about flying 
and they're not really aware of all of the expertise and the uh, professionalism that's going on behind the scenes. Um, would you have any uh, hesitation at all in in getting in, air, in an aircraft yourself? Do you feel unsafe at all with commercial aviation, knowing what you do from a tower? Definitely not. I think that it's probably one of the safest ways to travel, and I think statistics probably back that up. Yes, I do. Uh, yeah. And, I guess being in the tower, we see so many successful takeoffs and landings. <laughs> I think if people are nervous, maybe I would recommend coming to a place like the Sunshine Coast Aero Club, sitting out in this area that we're sitting and having a look at the runway and watching some of those aircraft yeah. arrive and depart. And maybe talk to someone who knows what's happening and explain what's going on and, and take some of the, the fear or the mystery out of it. So you um, talked a little bit about the, the, the qualities or the traits of air traffic controllers, what, what are they? I think resilience is essential. There's some days things will not go the way you want them to go. The weather will impact or a pilot's actions might potentially impact. For example, a student that is flying solo may not always be able to accept the clearance that we've given them. So then we'll have to make a new clearance that still maintains the safety of everyone in the air, but enables the student to do something that they feel comfortable doing. So you have to be able to react quickly and change your plan where necessary. You need to constantly reevaluate your plan as well too, because things like the wind or the weather can change that quickly. So yeah, I think resilience is a big thing. Communication, you need to be able to to talk confidently and clearly with other people. And I guess the ability to concentrate, to focus, mm -hmm. uh, to be on the job while you're there. Yes, yeah. exactly, yeah. 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 Do you like being an air traffic controller? Oh yes, I love it. <laughs> uh, and just particularly the last few years, I've, I've even developed more of a love for it because I've sort of spent more time getting out in the local um, aviation community and talking to some of the students and it's made me realise what a huge impact we have on them. I've had many students say to me, you were on when it was my first solo and you said congratulations and that really made my day. And I'm like, I think, oh wow, like that's, it's really special and a privilege for me to be there for their first solo flight. And I do love it when we'll have someone land on their first solo, we'll say congratulations, and there'll be an airline pilot on the frequency and they'll come along and say congratulations as well. It's just so uplifting. And recently we had a, uh, I think it was a Virgin 737 pilot fly in and the one of the local flying schools, Flight Options, rang up and said that this pilot had learnt how to fly at Sunshine Coast and they were flying in as an airline pilot for the first time and would we say welcome back to them. And we did, and it's that sort of thing is just, it's, it shows you that sort of circle and support that we have in our industry. And as you were saying before, like with, oh, do you feel safe flying? Yeah, definitely, particularly as I know that we've got these airline pilots that have come up through a supportive general aviation network and they've developed the skills and experience that is just going to set them up for their yeah. careers in the airlines. Yeah. Well, look, it's been a delight to talk to you, Naomi. Uh, all the very best with your career, with your, your development and your further study. And I'm so glad to sit with someone who loves doing what they do and to know that we are in safe hands, we are in good hands when we, when we travel. Thanks, Gary. So that's our episode. 
Don't forget, in Season 2, we'll be talking with QAM volunteer Colin Campbell about his experiences as an air traffic controller many years ago. Thank you for listening. I'm going to leave you with a little bit of an interesting exchange between a Qantas pilot and some others who happen to have heard his mistaken transmission to air traffic control not very long ago. This has been Mac One, the podcast of the Queensland Air Museum Caloundra. My name is Gary Hills. Thank you for listening. Come and see us soon. On behalf of Captain Mike Blanton and all of the rest of the crew, I'd like to take this opportunity to thank you for choosing to fly with Qantas, the spirit of Australia. Hope you have a great Christmas and New Year period, and we look forward to seeing you next time you fly. Thanks for your attention, and have a great evening. What did you say to Captain Flamels? Oh, no. It was lovely. Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, you get that, mate.